Dune Part 2 comes out in just a few weeks, but we couldn't quite wait, so we decided to read the book instead. So this is our reaction of the rest of the book, starting from where the first Dune movie left off. What did you think? I thought it was awesome. It's, it's so different from the movie that I expected to see. And it, it's there's so much depth and detail in the second part. I'm not even sure they could turn it into a single movie, let alone be like under three hours. Isn't that know. amazing? Because <laughs> the, the part that they left over like is only what eight hours left? It's and really the book's like 21 hours. Yeah. It's only like pretty much a third of the book. If you go by pages, they used more than more than half the book, probably 60, 65% of the book in the first movie. Yeah. But the content, I mean that there's I got twice as much content in the second half. Yep. It was crazy. Th- this next part is why I love the Dune book. I was I was gonna say it's probably the last like two chapters yeah. <laughs> that really make the difference because it's everything happens. It's insane. Like, it, gets, <laughs> it gets crazy. The transformation of the characters was probably the craziest thing for me. Just to see the wow, it was amazing. I, and I should say, right when we get into this, there's probably gonna be a fair bit of content, plot content. It's maybe spoilery type stuff. Very spoilery. <laughs> we're going to talk about our whole reaction to the yes. book and what we thought and what we're looking forward to in the movie. So where we left off with the first movie and where we started this this reaction, I guess we should say, is right where they walk off with the Fremen. Yes. That's the beginning After of After the, the fight with Jameis. Yes. And okay, this is the first part. But that, that <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that's exactly... How it happens in the book. No. So that's what kind of threw me off. Yeah, because there's a two-year jump, but it happens a little bit later after that fight with Jameis. So I'm yeah. really interested to see where they go with it. But I still feel like that's a good place to end for the movie and everything. It makes sense, and I can totally understand the time, the time condensing they had to do in the movie because there are jumps all over the place. We have multi-year jumps, I think, in multiple places, and we have to like kind of piece everything back together. Yeah. With the different Is it the different parts of the book? That are the jumps specifically? Or There's only one parts? jump, like official really? jump during the... Yeah. Okay. And But I think they they have a couple time jumps to like show you what was going on during certain gotcha. time periods. Okay. I feel like that last section, the profit section, I felt like that was like six years later, but I guess not. Oh, I know. It feels like that, doesn't it? But he, he it jumps forward two years yep. and you see it from the view of the Harkonnens of like what's going on on their side of things. Yes. And then it kind of jumps back and then shows like Paul's side of things or maybe it's vice versa. Well, it has to jump back a little bit because that's when we learn about the Reverend Mother of the Fremen, mm-hmm. right? So do we want to start with the Harkonnens? Do you want to well, before we get there, that? I do want to talk about the... I'm like diving straight in. It's so. amazing. <laughs> the, very, the very first thing that really like cued me into like this is a different book than anything I've read before was their, his focus on religion and yeah. the whole culture aspect of the book. It was just incredible to me. The whole fight with Jameis was amazing again there are going to be big spoilers here but (laughs) (laughs) I I really thought it was fascinating the whole scene where they took Jameis and they like take his water because water is a super essential immediately like right as soon as he dies they're just dehydrate that guy yeah nuts huh (laughs) and then on top of that then they have this big funeral Mm -hmm. like honoring him even though he seemed like a crazy like angry dude yeah and then the whole I just love the part where they're all saying Jameis is my friend Yes. And then I was a friend to James. Yeah, I was a friend of Jameis. Yeah. And then they talk about something that made them a friend. And then Paul steps up and says, I was a friend of James. He almost had to. That's yes. the weird thing about this is he like led to all of these actions. I'm not sure if it's because of the Bene Gesserit's like, um, what do they call it when they go in and, and spread these rumors and stuff? 
Oh yeah, yeah. They're just preparing it. They, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. remember what they call it. The missionaria or something like yeah, that. Yeah, missionaria. But they they talk about that and how these expectations have been set by these these rumors, I guess, and this religious rumor that's gone around. And I think that is part of it. Like the, he just looks around, and everyone's like looking at him, like you have to say something. Like I didn't know this guy. All yeah. I know is he challenged me to a fight, and I killed him. I killed, <laughs> he was my first person that I ever killed. I feel terrible about it because yeah. my mom even drilled that into me to make me feel yeah. bad about it. It was which wild. is also kind of interesting. And that's kind of what he says for his like homage to the the to guy, James. right? To Jameis, and he says like he taught me that experience. He taught me through that experience what it's like to, to take a life and what the sacrifice is like. It's crazy. Yeah. Loved it. I love that whole scene. One of my favorite scenes of the book is that, that moment. That scene in the funeral, before we move on, is really where you learn more about the water situation. Like, it's yes. not a joke. Like, you yeah. don't even shed tears without people being like, whoa, did you just, like, yeah. you're he sure you tears cried? for That's the incredible. dead. He sheds it, tears for the dead. It's not something that happens. Like, yes. they don't cry. They don't shed water unnecessarily. It's, like, sacrilegious to waste water. They measure water perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't, they're measuring cups or whatever they use yeah, like the tubes yeah. that they use to measure things there's no water residue they've all been prepared perfectly to be completely hydrophobic so everything passes directly through and nothing is wasted even drops and they didn't they say there's like a million gallons that they're preserving yeah, it's like a massive amount of water. huge amount of water but they still like if someone dies and they don't take all the water from that body then it's like they've wasted you know they've, they've ruined themselves people were being punished because they dropped like a liter of water it's crazy yeah it's, I I love all that and how how much of a focus it is and how they even say all that water that they have reserved. Everyone also understands how important that is. To Do you their think cause. they'll spend enough time on that in the movie? I and gloss right over. Have it. no idea, dude. <laughs> I I don't even think that they're gonna touch it on the Jameis funeral because I'm betting now. they gloss over the water thing as intent. I, I I think they might mention maybe I give it one or two pieces of dialogue max. I I bet. They have a sense for it, right? Like they, they'll they have a sense like, for it, and they'll act that way. But I don't think they'll explain it. I think yeah. they'll just leave that as something the audience has to understand. Yeah, I think they did that a lot with the first, the first movie as well. Yeah, they they did mention it with the palm trees and like saying each of these palm trees is equal to like a hundred men or something like that. I guess how much true. water it uses. Yeah, and, that's fair. Yeah, there's there's some elements, some subtle elements. Okay. There's a huge amount of plot in this second part. So we got to move on from the yeah, funeral. Yeah. Tell me <laughs> what what next? What did you love next? I want to talk about the desert and the worms a little bit, but the Harkonnens were first, I think, in this part. Do we want to talk about like his plan, his like go machinations first? Or where do you want to go? Yeah, that's fine. That's okay, fine. let's start with the Harkonnens then. Baron, horrible guy. Just terrible dude. He's a bad dude. I also you realized, really realize that in this part. <laughs> he kills everyone to make a point. That, okay, and he makes that's his a son huge, kill everyone. That's a huge part. And that's actually later on. Like yeah. more of the, the future elements of, of his plan kind of coming together at the end. With uh, But I think one of the things that was interesting is the, the um, I don't know, it's like gladiatorial combat, right? That he oh, has to, he cool puts his that? nephew. Is it nephew or his son? It's his heir either way. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's his nephew. I think it's his nephew, but it's his heir, yeah. right? And he's the one who has to go into this combat with a slave, almost like a ritual combat because they drug the other guy. So yeah, and it sounds really like they real. do this like hundreds of times. Like he just, it was his hundredth fight that he was Yeah, doing. it just seems like a very common, he was practiced at it. They have like a very, they have one um, poison blade and one non-poison blade. It's like very, very much like a right more than anything else. It's not necessarily like a, a punishment but it's a right that you have to pass through and the reason this one was different is they were trying to use it politically so that they could um incriminate 
essentially the slave master because the slave master had brought one of the atreides fighting men so that the harkonnens could prove that they're stronger they didn't drug him enough but they also cheated like crazy stuff and you mentioned the religious aspect i will say that probably even cooler than the religious aspect to me is the crazy politics yeah oh, everyone's yeah. playing politics against everyone else the, the nephew's playing so it deep. against the baron the baron's playing it against his his own like um Mentats, and he's yes. also playing it against the emperor. And how do they phrase it? It's wow. a, a feint within a feint within a feint. Yes, like, exactly like, right. It's, very, very it's crazy. wild. But I think it's an interesting development because it also tells you a lot about Fade. Is it Fade Ratha? Yep. And Ratha. Ratha? I think there's an L in there. That's oh, the problem with like an audiobook, was. man. I know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I guess it's the same problem with the movie because it's not like I'm going to know how to spell it for the movie. I don't even movie. think we meet Fade Ratha in the movie. I think we meet his like son that's supposed to be like the more or the other nephew that's supposed to be more like the iron fist and the to, ruler yeah Ray, raven raven yes i think that's who we meet in the movie interesting so i don't think we because he's the Dave one that Rafa. rules arrakis yeah and he's the one that he wants to have the blame for being too much of like he a doesn't squeeze. like it yeah yes <laughs> he knows he's cruel and he's like i'm just gonna pin all this cruelty on him yeah so fade rautha has the battle he goes through and he wins mm-hmm. by crook mostly yeah <laughs> But he does win the battle. He does incriminate the slave master, gets him executed. And then we start this like train of executions. Yep. And it's, they're having this conversation. They're like, oh, well, you know, you did this. So I'm going to do this. And I'm going like, to kill all these people. And it's it's insanity. Everyone's yeah. dying. And I feel like it's because, well, for the one thing, Fedrotha tries well, to assassinate was, the Baron. I think that would happen two years later. Is that after the jump? I yeah. think this whole thing's yeah. after the jump. Yeah, so it? I think they have the fight. And then two years later... Fade Ralpha is like having... Like, they don't like each other. No. Either way. Well, Fade Ralpha doesn't like his uncle, but his uncle likes Fade Ralpha and is like, I want you to be the heir, but like you're... Like, I don't think he really right. likes him. Well, he's to be training honest. him to be the heir. Yeah. And he he's just like doesn't determined. trust him. Definitely doesn't well, he, trust him because well, he's trying to he kill shouldn't, him. shouldn't. <laughs> because Fade Ralpha tries to assassinate him. He's yeah. not happy about that. Nope. And the assassination attempt fails. I'm not going to go more into that. Yeah. It's just kind of weird, creepy. But... I do think that that is a division point that is interesting because of how just terrible the Baron is about executing people. Like yep. he just, he has him go execute all these people just because. And it becomes almost like a, hey, let me prove how intense I am by exec- like ending dozens of lives. That's, that's horrible to me. Yeah. It's just wild that they do that in the... Ugh. Yeah, the book is nuts. And he they make him very evil. And I actually do think that the movie does a good job at showing you how dark of a character he is he's, without he's, yeah. going into it. Like they yes. do a good job at portraying him like his like low, like he's like dark, evil, evil voice. occult almost. He just feels like unhuman, like in the way yep. that he moves his suspensers and everything yep. in the movie. They, I, I think they did a great job portraying him. I will movie. say that's probably my favorite element that they didn't pull from the book but they still kept the aura, you know, that, yeah. that element of him that's just like shady, sketchy, evil. Conniving. You know, conniving is a good word for that. <laughs> I, I think that's good because you really don't want the details of who he is as a horrible person. I know. Well, we, just... <laughs> we could go into that in the next movie. I'm not I sure. hope they don't because that's yeah. that's going to change the rating real fast. We'll, we'll talk about the <laughs> I know. We'll talk about the trailer in a future video. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a reaction or something. That'll be fun. Yeah. But um yeah, okay. I want to talk about now we're back in the desert of Arrakis. Yep. We kind of talked about the Harkonnens and how terrible and awful they are. Making all these plans. I guess the last thing before we move on is he's rape oh, man, I'm going to mess this up over and over again. Someone's going to kill me for it, but his other <laughs> Air son, whatever. Yeah. The guy he left I in charge remember. of starts with an R, Raven, I think, or Robin, whatever. 
Probably not Robin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. But he leaves him not in Robin. charge. He leaves him in charge, and he's basically just sending him over and over again saying, um, you know, give me more spice, give me more spice, you're not doing it correctly. Like, he wants him to be more and more cruel to the people. Yep. And the reason he does that is because of a conversation he had with Howitt. Yep. And that is really where, is it Thufir Howitt? Who yeah, is con- really kind of controlling this whole situation secretly and telling him that the emperor builds his Sardaukar on, again, I'm going to mess the name up of this place, but his basically his prison planet. Yes. He has yeah. a prison planet. I wonder if we're going to go into this like technicality very much, but uh-huh. that prison planet is where he trains and develops his Sardaukar. Yep. He turns them into these fighting machines. And the reason he's able to do that is because no one knows what happens on this secret planet, on the secret prison planet. People go to prison and then the mortality rate's super high. That's all they know. But it's because he's harvesting these people as soldiers and yep. using them as his powerful soldiers. And he tells that to the Harkonnen, the, the Baron Harkonnen, right? I don't think he does. I think he did. I For some reason, I thought that... Howitt t- tells him that. Yeah, I think Howitt tells that. To oh, I thought you were saying that the Emperor was going to tell him. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Howitt yeah. tells him. He yeah. tells him straight up. He says, look, this is what he's doing. Because that was his plan mm-hmm. with the Duke, Leto, as well. It was working. That was yeah. one of the things that I wanted to note especially. It yeah. was... They were succeeding. Yes. I think Duncan Idaho. think all these guys yeah. that they had trained that were stronger than the Sardaukar. Yeah. So the training, the military training they were doing is more successful. And I think that's... It says in the book that is the main reason the emperor wanted to kill him. Yeah, he didn't want him because he knew that he was training stronger forces than he had. Yeah, crazy, How crazy. But that's why Howat's saying if you can make the similar situation on Arrakis, potentially you could have a force strong as well because Arrakis is like a crucible planet, basically. Yeah. And that's like the whole idea of this book, right? Is that harsh conditions make a strong person. Yeah, like, and it, it's it's the harshness of the desert that yeah. makes it makes them strong. It's the harshness of the prison planet that made the Sidecar strong. Yep, exactly right. Very and fascinating. Takes us back into the desert with the conversation of how things are going with the Fremen. So. Yeah, which is which is crazy. I the whole desert scene. We don't have to go into too much detail of everything. Some things I want to gloss over. What yeah. did you think about him riding the sandworm for the first time? I think crazy. I mean, I, I love that they were specific about that because I've seen the first movie. I saw like the, you know, the imaginations of all the stuff and seeing that happen. But it's like, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> why does the sandworm not just dive in and kill everybody? Like that's you're thinking ridiculous. that in the movie. I was thinking that in the movie. And then I'm, I'm like, I wish they would answer that. It's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. You know, it just doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah. And they explain it. And it just made me feel so good. <laughs> I know. I'm like, it actually makes I'm sense. Like, I totally understand now yeah. why... They can ride these worms. I would bet the movie's going to go into that more. Because the first movie, you like briefly see someone riding in the Oh, it's almost like a hallucination. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't even really count. But the reason is, and I'll tell it now, because if people haven't seen the book, they're going to want to know. Because when you have the hooks into the worm, it lifts up their scales, essentially, and exposes flesh. And that flesh, the worm knows... They don't want the harshness of sand to get into their flesh. That's why they have a hard outer covering. And I think the way that the scales are made too, they open up towards the sand too. So I always imagine it being opened up. So if yeah. it were to dive in, it would be pushed like right into the yep, sand. Yep. And the, the worm knows that. So it knows it doesn't want to just force it like the fleshy bits into this harsh yeah. sand. So it won't go under. And even more than that, whatever section is lifted up, it will roll so that that section's on top and the furthest away from any sand. Such a cool So that makes sense because when you're on top, it helps you to stay on top because the worm is doing all the self-balancing. Yep. You're like, okay, yeah. Because how, how do you ride like a 400-meter 
animal. Like that's <laughs> ridiculous. Unless yeah. it's doing it itself. It's basically self-correcting for you. Yeah. I think uh, such a good explanation. So cool. It helped me a lot. I, I really liked that. Um, other parts of this, I which I hope they go into, is uh, Paul's mom. Yep. And how she becomes the new... Uh, Reverend um, Mother. Reverend Mother. Of the Fremen. Of the Fremen. What did you think about the experience that she had of becoming the Reverend Mother? And it's, everything it's, there. It's bordering on a little too... Weird? Weird yeah. for me. This is where just, it gets a little... Like, there's like hallucinations on hallucinations. And you're like, who is real? What time place are we in? Like, it's so confusing. And everyone's like... It's poison, and then it's changed, and now it's not poison, but it is poison, and then she's hallucinating. Is she awake? Is she not awake? I don't know. Does anybody know? <laughs> yep. It's a weird but moment. But then she gets all of the memories of the old Reverend Mother. Yes. And at the same time, her unborn daughter gets the same thing. Connects into all those Which is actually memories. a crazy concept. And she gets in huge trouble for that. Yeah. Well, and she also realizes at the moment, she's like, I, there's nothing I can do to stop this. Like, I didn't even realize this was going to be a problem until, yeah. like, this instant. And, like... The baby's freaking out too. Like, yeah. Well, the baby's now gained gained like awareness as an unborn baby. That's yeah. like, and it turns same. into like a crazy. Like, once the baby's born, it's like, yep. it's crazy. It's not a baby. It's like this, an adult basically can speak, can think, can do all these things. This is the part of the book where I like realized that some people say that the future books are really, really weird. I, can I see feel it like now. This, <laughs> this is probably giving us a small taste of like where it goes. And that that's a good enough reason for me to be like, yeah, book one is, I think I might be good with that yeah, for, for a long while. Cause that's kind of how I felt some of the stuff in those parts. And even near the end, when he becomes like the true, oh, man, I'm going to, I'm losing words all over the place. Cause they're just such weird words to me. But um, when he becomes the true, like incarnation of what the Bene Gesserit are looking for, Moadib? Uh, whole time. No, Moadib is his name on, on uh, Arrakis, but he has like a name from the Bene Gesserit side of things as like a prophetic herald, I guess, that comes through from the the strategic bloodlines they've done uh, this whole time. I can't remember what it it's is. Not, I should it's know not that. a huge deal what the name is. It'll come to me eventually. But the point is he becomes that. And in the process of becoming that, again, we go through this like crazy psychedelic, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on section. I just know that it ended where now he can be in the past and present and future. I do want to talk about that section briefly because I yeah, thought it was tough. so fascinating. Just the intros to each chapter. This is where I it just really opened my eyes to some cool things that uh, Frank Herbert does with it. So Frank Herbert puts in the beginning of each of these chapters, almost it feels oh. like scripture for each part, <laughs> which is super fascinating. Yeah. And I actually really liked the part where it kind of foreshadows a little bit of what's going to happen in the chapter. And it talks about how Paul is both alive and dead at the same time. And it's, and it goes on to show that he has been uh, out for like, what did they say? Three weeks? Yeah. Because he's in a coma for three weeks. Yeah. Because of this drug and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead because like his mom was able to say like, Hey, like he's still alive. He was just in a coma. And so he was thus both alive and dead at the same time. Yeah. And what made this so fascinating to me is Frank Herbert's found a very cool way of almost helping me understand like scripture that I read in modern day, like from if you read from the Bible or something, there's some things that are written very poetically yeah. and it's hard to understand what they meant. But then if you were there in the moment, you might understand like, oh, the poetic poetry of this like makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And it's actually one of the most perfect ways you can describe it. Like the way to describe both Paul being both alive and dead in the moment is a really 
good poetic way of describing things. I like that. So you're saying that sometimes the like logical, literal interpretation just it doesn't convey everything that it needs to. So you have to rely on analogy and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And not even that you have to, but it's just like it almost helps you understand the analogy better. Like you don't have yeah. to take it so literal. Yeah. But like you can use it to understand the feeling that they were trying to convey. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the limitations of language in general, right? Is you can't convey feelings perfectly through language. We've, we've done our best, but it's not a, a perfect way to convey emotion. Totally. And that's so that's one of the things I really liked about each of the intros that Frank Herbert has there. It's just well, the intros really are written by Princess Irulan, right? Yes, who we meet at the end, right? Which is <laughs> that when you like first meet her, she's the daughter of the, em- the, the emperor. Yeah. And you're like... Well, I know what happens. Like, <laughs> kind of gives that last little connection to you right at the end is really cool. Yeah. And it's the last probably 20 minutes of the read, probably last 20 pages. Yep. Crazy. So we have, we have to get there. And on the way there, though, there's this big moment where Paul has a speech with all yes. of the uh, Fremen. And this is one of my favorite parts as well, because he's just trying to change their ways. Like, listen. Like, do you think I'm stupid? Like, I'm going to would cut off my own arm before so the, going I'll, into I'll battle. So I'll give you the buildup, so that yes. we can all jump go, into that same page, yeah, and yeah. then you can talk about the speech. Yes. So he wakes up from his coma, and he knows that there's going to be this big attack. People are gathering; it's, it's going to be big. I think he was right before the coma. I'm, I'm actually positive. He was okay, right that's before fine. The coma. That's fine. Yeah. So either way, he knows that stuff's coming. Yeah. He needs to be prepared for it. And the problem is they're constantly these little strifes in the Fremen because their ways are the strongest should lead us, the strongest. The strongest leader is the strongest person. They're the ones that look out for us, but there's always one person. And they're really getting confused because, like, we have all these people that are contributing. Like, your mom, who's now the Reverend Mother, you, um, all of the – who was the old leader of the – I'm forgetting everyone's name today. My (laughs) goodness, I should have prepped better. Duke No, 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 no. Uh, Sorry. The leader uh, of the – Stilgar? Yeah, so Stilgar is there. You've also got – I'm so sorry. So there's a multiple people who yes. are like powerful leaders yeah. all together. Yeah. And they're saying that's not that's not how it works. Like you should have challenged Silgar and you should have beaten him. Like yep. and then you could be the leader. Like literally kill them to be yes. able to be the leader. Yes. Like you can't be the leader unless you kill him. So they're constantly saying like you should fight him. You should challenge him. And they just can't grasp the fact that he's not going to do that. So yeah. And, and which which is what I love because he just tells everyone like like I'm not stupid like I'm not he literally uses I think he uses that words like do you think I'm yeah. stupid yeah like why would I cut off my own arm before like going into these important battles like Stilgar is extremely important if we keep killing off our best yeah. then we will never be able to overcome anything yeah. and I I just thought that was very well worded and yeah. very like, why well not put. kill Harkonnens instead yes <laughs> I was like so cool he just Paul has shown himself to become. This whole book, you're seeing him become a leader like more and more and more. He and gets up to this, this point. side of him, though, I think nearing this part of the book, that's a very, very brutal, emotionless. Like he plays on the emotions of the people for sure. Maybe that's part of his Bene Gesserit training. But he's very much like, I am in charge and I'm telling you how it is. Even though you kind of see where he's coming from, from the logic and the background and where he's going with it. It's still, I'm sure, to a lot of the people is like, what is the difference between this type of leadership and the baron or the emperor? Yep. As they like, they get up and they say what's best for us. Even being accurate, that's a very heavy-handed leadership method. Yep. And this is where the movie, I don't think I got as much from it as I did from the book, of his huge sense of uh, the prophecy and future of like, he's going to be leading this jihad of uh, all these people where they would go across the like world like just with running raining with like blood and like terror 
to uh, like conquer everyone. And he was afraid of that. He does not, didn't want to be a part of that. He was doing everything he could to avoid it. But you're seeing him slowly inch towards that. And he becomes and, it, yeah. And then eventually in the book, like he pretty much gives in. He's like, yeah, this is what's going to do what I'm going to do. And like, it's, it's, and even his mom I, is like, I, I don't think you're going like he's, she's scared of him by the end. Yeah. It's crazy. And this is why I think that this book is a tragedy. That's a story. Like the story in my mind is a tragedy because it just, Whole, whole thing's devastating for even some other reasons we get into too but you're just seeing him go to a place where you don't really want him to go and he doesn't really want to go but he ends up there anyway it's the only way it's yeah. the only solution not only not really the only solution but he just kind of ends up there anyways like i think it is the only solution it's the only peaceful way peaceful way for the conflict to end and you think about it's like but through lots of blood and arrakis represents the universe arrakis represents raw power uh-huh and this there was a long conversation that we had Maybe there'll be a deep dive video later, but about um, the raw power of the desert and, and the, the power of chaos and talking about why the worms are attracted to rhythms and things like that. I won't go into it all. <laughs> Conceptually, though, considering Arrakis as raw power, it's, that becomes a powder keg. It's something that action must be taken and it will be taken eventually. It's, it's not something that can be ignored. Like the power is building up. And it will continue to build up until it explodes. And that power will be harnessed one way or another. And I think it's being siphoned off by the Baron. But he doesn't have the leadership strength to conquer the full force of Arrakis. Or to take on the full force of the power in that desert. Which is why he's siphoning the power off slowly. To the guilds with the spice. Taking some of the value. Subjugating as many as he could of the Fremen. And just trying to almost negate the build up of that power. Because he knows maybe even subconsciously he's not the brightest you know, brightest tool in the shed. I don't know. I think Baron's pretty smart. Like, I love when people say that. <laughs> tools, aren't, tools aren't very bright. But okay. um, he's one of the things that he misses is the fact that this power I mean, is continuing to People say the sharpest tool in the yeah. shed. It's, I, I've heard it enough times that I think it's hilarious. I don't know why. But anyway, point being, it's, uh, it's something that he's trying to avoid because he knows that he doesn't have enough leadership power to take it on in its full force. And I think when he's told by how, it, how much power exists in a, a crucible planet like this, that's when he realizes and he's finally like, something has to change. We need to do something differently. I, he brings the emperor in. He brings everyone in. He brings the guilds in. He's like, we need to do something about this because someone is going to take and harness this power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a crazy book. So they go through... They have that huge uh, speech. He's knocked out for three weeks. Sounds like Stilgar's been doing his thing. It all comes to the climax, though, when he wakes back up. And they have the big fight where it, the Emperor has shown up. The Baron has shown up. Everyone's, Everyone's there. He said even there. the minor houses are there. Because the, like, <laughs> the guilds have reduced the prices of travel so everyone could come. It oh was my crazy. gosh. <laughs> it's nuts. So what did you what did you think? Let's talk about that conclusion. Okay. What did you think about the book as a whole, the way it concluded, like everything? I think the conclusion was powerful. And I think I've seen a lot of um, nuances to that in other authors that we've read as well, in like this massive end to a book. And this was a, a big battle, but also like a, a political battle right at the end. Like the battle was won. And now they have this like politically charged discussion with like all the leaders. That was pretty cool. I, I think it was a great way to end the book. Yep. It was a, a, a just a, I think really cool, almost inevitable feeling. Yep. Um, but it was still surprising and impactful, which is cool. 
For me, this the way the book finished was devastating for me. Really? I was devastated. This book was like really? super sad for me. Like it wasn't okay. devastated like as in like I can't like I was mad about it, but it, just the emotions I got from it. First of all, he like his son is killed. Yeah. In the fight. That is sickening, especially yeah, as a father. Like can you imagine him like realizing <laughs> this? And I think this is one of the things that turns him into like this is jihad now. Like I'm going yeah, to like he's, he's emotionless be... by the end. Yeah. Absolutely. Then Cheney, who like I love, I'm like I imagine like like she's great, yeah. <laughs> and like I I always imagine like my own wife and like the the love romance characters whatever. Sure. Yeah, and it but it just you see Cheney here, and it just he is choosing to marry the wife or the daughter of the emperor mm-hmm. instead of Cheney, even though his mom is pleading like don't do this, like I made this same mistake yeah. with your father. And like to me, also heartbreaking to make those same two decisions at the same time and to go for the reign of terror that he's going to go through next. Like all of those things combined. I'm like, this whole book is a tragedy to me. It starts from beginning to end, just like seeing him change. Even, um, oh, uh, Gurney. Yep. Like he's, he starts telling like throughout the end of the book, he's like, this is not like the Atreides way. Like we care more about people than things. Like you, he says it several times. He's yeah. like, I've never. Well, he's I've, losing a bit of himself, and a bit of that is Atreides. He's yep. losing a bit of the Atreides way, as well as his own emotion in this transition he's gone through. He's he's really become an emperor, and as an emperor, like he's not even just like a king. As an emperor, you you are completely emotionless. Yeah, because you have to be able to like. You think about how cold the Baron was, but I can't even imagine the billions and billions and billions of lives that are under the rule of an emperor. It's got to be crazy. Oh, yeah. It just, the whole thing about him taking, deciding to take the emperor's daughter to wife instead of Cheney just like ripped me apart. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> are you right kidding me? End, right I know. Last. I was so sad about that. I'm like, no, she's so cool. Like, yeah, but he does say that he, he loves her the most. I know, but does it, that at the end. I know, and so that's that's the thing is like, does that and, give you any solace? But of his like, mom consoles her. Yeah, at the end, she's like, that, that is history a, will call us the wives. Yeah, that is like literally the last sentence of the book. Really? Oh, well, yeah, the go. very last <laughs> things that are said. Isn't that amazing? That's because that's because uh, Frank Herbert knew how powerful it was going to be for you. I know that emotional relationship <laughs> part of the book. <laughs> yeah, just oh, man. it was good though. I think that's the great. end was powerful and impact. I I think it was a good book. That really ramped up at the end. I think overall, it is a book that I would recommend people read. I would say going into it, you could probably even watch the movies first because it's better to give yourself a little bit of context and who the people are, who the different yeah. houses are. But I think it's it's definitely a good book. For I don't know if it's because this book is so old or maybe it was because of the audiobook we were listening to, but it feels like you're reading a play to me. Yeah, yeah. actually, that's a good like, point. Yeah, and so plays are very... like. I feel like they're a lot more enjoyed once you understand the story and then watch the play. Like yep. you're not really going into the play to like be like shocked and everything. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> it was got to be a previous episode somewhere. We talked about like the libretto that you read at the beginning of a play, like walks you through the context. Like you can understand a little bit more about it and then feel the emotions of the play instead of trying to keep track of names. Yes. Which I'm obviously terrible at. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, uh, one of the first plays I saw was Les Miserables. 
And I, my wife had explained to me the whole storyline before I went in there. <laughs> and I went into the show. I'm like, I'm really glad she did that. I actually yeah. understand what the heck is going on. Yeah. So same thing here. If you were to watch the movie first and then read the book, I think you'd still get a whole ton great of shape. enjoyment out of it. Well, so. part two hasn't come out yet. It's going to come out in a few weeks. I'm sure we will have lots of great content coming out with the release of Doom Part 2. Please make sure you're subscribed if you aren't already so you can catch that as it comes out. Lots of fun content coming and we're excited for it. So hope you guys have a great rest of your day.